I think it's fascinating that you've got Coleman, uh, Mr. Justice Coleman, as he was then, um, in 1993, sort of raising his eyebrows slightly at, at the principle. If memory serves, um, Mr. Justice Coleman was did do construction work, but it was also more commercial matters as well. So it gave him a slightly different perspective on things. But perhaps more interesting is, is Mr. Justice Ramsey, obviously a very well-known, highly respected construction silk for many years, and then a, a judge of the, of the TCC, also challenging the orthodoxy, although, the, although not directly, but again, setting the scene for perhaps we need to have a look at this concept in a little bit more detail. I think it's fascinating that you've got judges from slightly different perspectives coming to a similar yeah similar it, it does make it there is a slight frustration and i've done you know hopefully um you know <laughs> uh lord justice Coulson doesn't have a go at me for, for saying this but in north midland building and garden homes he he gives an excellent judgment uh, in the court of appeal on what's going on with concurrent delay and how the parties can can manage the prevention principle through the express terms of the, the contract contract out of it in in effect but he then comes up out with a, a paragraph. And it, the paragraph really confuses me because I've seen Mr. Justice Coulson, as he then was, supporting talks where, where the debate about time at large is, is rife. And he's, uh, I mean, he never gave a very clear opinion about what, what he's talking about. But he's completely aware of the, the debate about, uh, that there is in the industry about whether it's or not there should be time at large. But in this judgment, when he doesn't need to say it, he says it over to says, if the parties do not stipulate that a particular act of prevention triggers an entitlement to an extension of time, there'll be no implied term to assist the employer, and the application of the prevention principle would mean that, on the happening of that event, time was set at large. So he doesn't explain what time was set at large means. He uses this, this language, obviously in the knowledge that it has this jurisprudential sort of building blocks that get us to a relatively uncertain point. But it's infuriating to me, being in the middle of this debate, that we've got a court of appeal judge just putting in the authority that this is the effect of an act of prevention without any obvious debate about what this means or how, how you manage it. Now, again, I've got the greatest respect for Mr. Justice, uh, sorry, Lord Justice Coulson, but I was sort of flummoxed when I saw that just thrown away. And I, I wonder whether it was simply that his focus was on something else and he just thought, well, I'll just put down the orthodoxy. In, in, in the way that we all do when we talk to the junior, uh, the, the most junior ones, even, even now, and say, oh, yes, of course, if there's an act of prevention, time's at large. And you just put the full stop there and you move on to the next point. Well, it's, it's encouraging to know that even eminent judges like Lord Justice Coulson, sometimes just it's too, it's too hot to handle to... Uh, <laughs> to start unpicking this, this orthodoxy at this point, you know, uh, you see it, I guess you see it when you read the case law on all sorts of issues that judges, if they don't have to unpick it, if they don't have to, if they don't have to deal with a difficult point, they, they won't. There's some deep wisdom in that. And I, and I, and I respect that. I, I, I completely get it. Well, I mean, obviously the, that, that case, the North Midland building case did set the cat amongst the pigeons, I think in certain parts of the industry. Obviously, the way that it was argued was that somehow the prevention principle was this standalone legal principle and that it wasn't an implied term. It wasn't a matter of interpretation of the contract. It was actually something that stood apart from the contract. And that obviously that the decision in that case and confirmed in the Court of Appeal was, no, no, it's just an implied term. 
But uh, I think if you go back and if you've been in the industry for a while and, you, and you've read a lot of claims put together by claims consultants and what have you, uh, and many lawyers actually, they've approached it in the same way, that this is something that can't be contracted out of, it can't be avoided, it's something that uh, stands alone. And it made perfect sense to me when I read it, that it must, it must and I, it, it was my view anyway, that it must be an implied term. I, I actually thought perhaps it was more of a matter of interpretation of the contract, but, but you get to the same place, I guess, in the sense, sense that um, you can contract out of it. It's just a matter of what the contract means. Yeah, I, I think the, it's another one of these, which is why the topic is so fascinating, because it really challenges your sort of legal philosophical beliefs. You know, should, at, at its heart, should uh, the common law in England and Wales, should it be saying that actually freedom of contract is the thing that's important? You, you allow parties to reach their own agreement and you, you apply that agreement. And, and therefore, a principle like this would be an implied term of some sort of fairness principle that, that is implied into it, but otherwise you can contract out of it? Or do you go the other way and say, no, justice is what is important. Fairness is what it's all about. And if the terms of the contract are unfair, inherently unfair and contrary to this fundamental principle, then we just don't give effect to it. Now, the reason I believe that uh, English and Welsh law is so uh, successful is because it has favoured that commercial approach and saying, no, ultimately, you put it in writing, you, your two parties negotiating at arm's length and you enter into this agreement, we are, the law of your contract is going to be the terms of the contract that you, you agreed to. Now, there are obviously some exceptions. I mean, we don't need to go into all of them, all of them today. Statute can step in and say, um, actually, we don't like you doing this. So in certain circumstances, politicians will then come over the top and say, no, we need to affect freedom of contract in, in some ways. But otherwise, the role of the courts in the commercial courts is to interpret the party's agreement and give effect to it. That gives us as lawyers the certainty to go out and say, no, you've, you've signed this. It's the obvious meaning of the contract. This, this is what the courts are going to implement. Yeah, I mean, you only have to read the recent court judgments from the Supreme Court about how they interpret contracts to understand that what Mr. Lord Justice Coulson did was completely in line with all that, which is it's freedom of contract all the way. Precisely. Precisely. Uh, and that's the, that's one that is in effect you of, of all the things you need to know about English contract law if you understand that you can get to the right answer on most points because that that's what it's all, what that if you con, if you put it in your contract uh, as you say unless it's one of the few exceptions uh, then that is what you're going to get yeah yeah absolutely and that's what and that's what you should expect precisely in, in fact I, I, I'm but I know there's a there's a big political divide in the UK at the moment, and it's a similar principle that you're dealing with with here in the law. You know, do you do you apply this strict commercial view of the world, or do you step in and say, no, actually, we're going to start interfering with with this because ultimately it's giving outcomes that are unreasonable. You know, you, you we've talked in the past about in many significant contracts, the employer has got a better bargaining position. So is able to impose or transfer the risk far far easier onto the contractor, and and should that be permitted? And I I wonder whether what we'll see is as, as the younger generations come up, who seem to have a you know a greater uh, what do they call it wokeness, I suppose, or whatever you want to want to call it, but but are more concerned about 
these sort of harsh realities that, that are produced by the current system, maybe you'll start seeing judges come up who, who start to say, well, hang on a second. No, I'm not. It, it's just ridiculous that you've allowed, allowed this, this imbalance of risk to be produced in this contractual document. I'm going to look more deeply into why this was negotiated and give my own assessment as to whether that is fair, just and reasonable. But for me, as a more traditional contract lawyer, I look at that and think, hang on a second, you know, how are we going to advise our clients if it's just down to the whims of a judge on any given day as to whether they think it was all fair or not at the time it was agreed? You're sort of opening Pandora's box with that. But maybe that's where we're heading. Yeah, well, I mean, we, 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 we could, I mean, I, issues like good faith, of course, a sort of parallel discussion on, on all that. And I'm not, certainly not going to get into that now. Hmm. Well, what, 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 is, what is interesting about this realisation or clarification, is probably the right way of describing it, that the prevention principle is not a principle at all, but just a way of looking at the contract, interpreting the contract, and, and an implied term when the express terms of the contract don't deal with certain aspects of what yeah. can happen on these projects, uh, i.e. the employer causes a delay and there's if you read the contract without the implied term, it would look like the contractor has to pay liquidated damages for those delays. What it really means, what we've really been talking about, isn't it, is that the employer um, has is already implying, to, uh, most employers and most construction contracts, particularly international contracts, have very specific prescriptive time bar provisions, which are absolute in most cases, in the sense that if you don't notify of a claim within a certain period of time, you lose the right to make the claim. Yeah. The contractor loses the right to make the claim. So you have those, and, the, and obviously we've, we've had cases where that's been looked at, and Mr Justice Jackson again made it very clear that time bars don't make time at large. So that seems to be where we are with English law. You can effectively contract out of it it's like indirectly through time yep. bars. I, I guess just to qualify that, I mean, the contractor will get its extension of time as long as it notifies on in time so it's yeah. not it's not, an, it's not it's not an absolute contracting out but very often the practical effect of it is this is that but, but we know um, the, pra the practicalities of that can yeah. be extremely onerous i mean I'm, I'm dealing with one at the moment which is about you get i don't know seven fourteen days from your awareness of the claim i mean what what does that mean and what if you and then you have to give full particulars of your claim as well so you become aware of a claim but you don't know whether there's going to be a time or uh, cost impact at what point does time start running then for those purposes and you just lose if, if the judge turns around and says no it's from the first time that you become aware that somebody's thinking about making this change you should have been saying this is going to cost me this much money when you don't know the particulars of it at all it becomes very difficult to advise the client in those circumstances isn't it Absolutely, and and some of the advice that you see and you and you give is, look, you've got a really good claim here. I don't see why you shouldn't get an extension of time, but you've got a problem with your time bar, and you have to qualify it on that basis. I mean, so so we've had the time bars; they've been in contracts for for a long time. More recently, over the last five ten years, and 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 been talking to my front end, the people, you know, the, my my partners who draft construction contracts, rather than like me who, who sort of litigate or arbitrate them. We're seeing more and more attempts to try and legislate around concurrent delay issues and to get clarity on that. And very often it's in favour of the, of the employer yep. in the sense that the employer isn't obliged to give an extension of time 
the contract doesn't get an extension of time in the event of concurrent delay. Whereas in the past, that um, there was some uncertainty around that, and that that favours the employer. Now, now we've had this clarity from Lord Justice Coulson, which I respectfully say must is, it seems to me to be the right way of looking at the law yep. um, as it stands at the moment. What is now to stop a employer with a very strong bargaining position just going going one step further and saying, "I'm not responsible for anything." Yeah, there's no there's no there's no restriction on that as far as I can see. If it's uh, clearly worded, you'd have to argue. You'd have to get into that philosophical zone that we argued about earlier. That it, there was something so inherently unfair about that position that it shouldn't be permitted as a matter of law. But is that really going to is that is that going to happen with the current judicial sort of mindset? I I don't think so. I mean, of course, this is all hypothetical. I mean, will a contractor ever sign up to terms that are that onerous? But it it does go to show that you know even in the context of the concurrent delay, what the judge is saying is is that but for the contractor's delay, the contractor was going to be on site longer inevitably even if they've done, not, not breached the contract by taking longer than they would have they, they still would have been on there because of the employer's act of prevention but it's okay in those circumstances to get the the contractor to bear that risk and that is starting to get quite close to something that people would you know the man on the clapham omnibus would start to say hang on that's a, a little bit odd that that's the potential outcome but yeah if you if, if you effectively as the employer say Actually, you know, all risks, even for my breaches of contract, are your responsibility. And that's, um, that's potentially okay, in theory. So, uh, I mean, we, we've discussed it before, you know, is this something, well, will it ever be practically tested? You know, will, will we see terms in those in, in, in that way? Perhaps in the international markets, you can see that there are some very aggressive contracting approaches taken in China in, in shipbuilding cases and, and things like that. You know, are you going to see this attempt to impose that level of authority by employers? Uh, well, well, maybe. And in those circumstances, will we need to legislate to try to apply? So, but what legislation? Some sort of general, we I mean, were already got an unfair terms act. Do we need to look at that again and, and, and make it a, a sort of wide, a, a wider application to commercial contracts? And then you're opening Pandora's box, aren't you? What's interesting is that I think in the past, front-end construction lawyers have been paranoid about the prevention principle. You mentioned it at the beginning of the talk. Yeah. About, and that's, that's kept people from doing things like that. Or, or, or certainly it's made them try to be more reasonable where maybe they had the opportunity not to be so reasonable from a commercial perspective, they were paranoid about making time at large and losing the benefit of LDs. If you actually analyse what the position now is, that fear should be significantly reduced. I think you're right. I think we will see in our practices within the next five years attempts by employers to really squeeze international contractors who may just say, well, it'll all be okay, it'll, it'll all be all right on the night, uh, the employer won't hold us to this. You know, you, you get this philosophy coming through. And I think, for the large part, it works. I mean, it's right. I mean, I think most employers are reasonable. I just think it's inevitable that that will be attempted in certain legal markets. And the judgment in that case will be used to defend it. 